Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where we are now accepting reservations for your next hospital party, but we Mm -hmm. are booking up fast for Vet Tech Week, so make sure to (laughs) get your slots in um, to appreciate and take care of your veterinary technicians. Um, We'd like to thank all of you caffeinators out there for your continued support of everything we do here at the Vet Tech Cafe, Um, even if it's simply just liking and following our social channels or following along on our YouTube channel. We're going to be recording another uh, Vet Tech Tap Room this week, so there'll be another post up there. Um, and uh, we've been making a lot of new posts on Tuesdays. Dave's been doing T-Shirt Tuesday, and, and we've had some people uh, buying some of our T-shirts and things, so we really, really appreciate all the support. Thank you very much to our Patreons. Um, and if you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, if this is your first time here, Head over to VetTechCafe.com. All the info is there about Dave and I and who we are and why we do this, links to previous episodes, again, our merchandise, all of that. So um, if you have any questions, uh, if you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you think we should be discussing or guests you want to recommend, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, definitely go to VetTechCafe.com and just send us an email through there, or our email address is VetTechCafe at gmail.com. So uh, just thank you very much for your support, Dave. How's it going out there? Uh, it is good out here. It is still super hot here in North Carolina. <laughs> um, I, I did have a couple cool days. I know I've been telling you that I've I've been refusing to run outside, but I have run outside a few times because it's been like in the 70s. But usually by the time I get done with my run, it's in the mid 80s. I'm like, oh, that was a bad choice. I should, yeah. I should have not run. Um, but the other thing that's going on here is, is we just got two new horses. Uh, Robin's birthday was on Friday and, uh, we got one horse that's on a, on a, on a lease and one horse just got here like 20 minutes ago from, uh, Belgium. Oh, jeez, He's a young baby, young baby horse that is full of, full of piss and vinegar. And, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) so our, our farm is, is back to having a multiple, uh, horses on it again. Um, but very busy time here. Um, it, it's every time she says, Oh, let's get this, let's get this. I'm like, okay, how are we going to deal with that? And you figure out a way to deal with it. Yeah. And, yeah. She, that, that answer probably starts with, well, you need to build. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately I haven't had to build anything. That's, that's the good part. That's why, that's why it's been a little bit easier. Um, we just have to shift around animals and, uh, yeah. Make sure that the fields are mowed and, and make sure that the the fences are, are working properly. So, you know, a lo- lot of work on the farm. Uh, but, I mean, I know what I signed up for. Yeah. So here we go. There you are. There you are. <laughs> How are things out there? Uh, we're good. It's also been blistering hot here. We've been pushing yeah. triple digits the last week or two. It looks like it's supposed to co- calm down uh, a little bit later on this week, which is nice because we're doing a bunch of work here. We got a new lawn put in and um, oh, nice. a lot of new, like, vegetation and things. And so um, everybody that's been working on that, it's just been so blazing hot. They've been getting here at like 6 a.m. to be able to stop oh, yeah, at 10 yeah. and then coming back at like <laughs> five in the afternoon. And yeah, so we got that going on. But I, I also want to do uh, share a quick story. And I, I promise there is a point to this. So um, <laughs> you, you know that I've been having a lot of like neck pain and migraines yeah, recently. Yeah. And I finally went, I had an appointment this past week to go to a head and neck specialist. Um and they uh, really liked the gal. She started me on, because uh, I, I take Rizotriptan, which is one of the first generation, it's like 20-year-old medication, first generation migraine meds that are out. And there's so many new medications, but insurance won't approve them without going through all of these other medications yeah, first right, and right. proving that they don't work. 
So I went to this head and neck specialist um, and she put me on a, actually she put me on amitriptyline, which maybe some of you oh. vintage techs out there remember Elevil, right? From <laughs> right. Like, the only behavioral modifier we had back right. in the day. <laughs> um, and it's a really low dose and I've been on it a week now and I haven't had a single bout oh, of that's neck awesome. pain or migraines, which I can't remember when I went this long without a problem. That's great. Uh, but the, the whole point to this story is I saw... I didn't even see one of the neurologists. I saw a PA at this clinic, but she is this clinic's migraine specialist. Mm. And I thought, you know, like with all of the discussion about mid-level practitioners, forget yeah. the title, the mid-level practitioners and VTSs and things like I saw this person who, who would be that role in our field ultimately. Right. And she listened to everything I said. She listened to my entire history we had a very like honest discussion about where things were at. And she like talked me through so many things that I feel like perhaps one of the neurologists wouldn't do mm -hmm. adequately. And, and, but again, like it's actually a viable role if we can just get it together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it sounds like this is, this is probably going to be the focus of our tap room that we're going to record yeah. later this week. Yeah. Um, because you, you, we've got new insights into it, and I, I, we could talk about this all day, but right. we have a guest. And right, I, I exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I, I want to pivot to that, but it just—it yeah. really made me think while I was sitting there in that appointment, like, gosh, if we could just get over ourselves a little yeah. bit and actually make it happen, there is actually a space for this. Like this, this, this PA, which again, PA nurse practitioner, there's some differences there and very different than what we're looking to do. But she was this head and neck specialist, migraine specialist. Mm -hmm. and, and like it, it just was re reassuring to me that it actually could be done and there is a space for it. And so, yeah, I, I just I, so again, I told you I did have a point there. But um, yeah, but we'll. we'll, and, uh, well and the thing that I think about that is like I, I, you know, that had to start somewhere in the human world, too. Right. right? Like, right. They, they were they were probably at this point. Sometime very ago. early, very all, very early on, and right. then figured out the steps to make it happen. And, right. and I think we just need to yeah. have more open communication with the human world and say, "Hey, how did you make this work?" Agreed. We want to do it too. Agreed. Like everything we do in this in this profession. Yeah. <laughs> so, caffeinators, if you'd like to hear more about that, um, if you haven't already, tune into our next episode of the Tap Room, which we haven't recorded yet, but will probably be out before this episode airs. Right. So, if you haven't listened to it yet, go ahead and head over there for some more discussion about that. But we have a guest today, and that is our focus. So we are going to pivot to Kate Howard. Um, Kate is an LVT hailing from upstate New York. She holds an AAS in veterinary technology and is pursuing her bachelor's currently and had been practicing uh, as a clinical veterinary technician for a little over a decade before she left clinical practice, like many of us have, and has uh, joined the team at Instinct, um, which is what we're going to talk a lot about today. Her background is primarily general practice, but through internships, volunteer work, um, changes in career path, she's got experience in shelter medicine, exotic companion animals, zoo medicine, and ECC. And now working with Instinct, her primary focus is collaborating with hospital leaders to onboard with Instinct. So Kate, first of all, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. We really appreciate you taking some time out to talk with us about all of this. What can we get you for a cup of coffee or caffeinated beverage of choice? You know, I am actually not a coffee drinker. Um, so if I caffeinate, it's usually a caffeinated diet soda. Um, okay. But my cafe drink of choice would be a chai latte. All right. Okay. Well, that, that we've had several requests for that we yeah. definitely do have on the menu. So no worries there. Um, Fabulous. So if you wouldn't mind, take us through your career path, kind of what got you into veterinary medicine, some of the highlights along the way up to what you're doing now, and then we'll jump off from there. Sure thing. So um, I think I was probably a pretty typical 10-year-old little girl who got her first own dog and decided that uh, love of animals meant that heading into the veterinary field was exactly what was right for me. Um, fortunately, I had some very rational parents who were like, listen, we need to analyze this a little bit. And so before I even got into high school, I had <laughs> written notebooks about what it was uh, potentially going to be like to be a veterinarian. Um, and that's when I started learning about the alternate roles in veterinary medicine, which, you know, 23 years ago, um, I think there was a lot less press for veterinary technicians. So I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, and, but 
once I learned more about the role, I knew that's exactly the direction that I wanted to head in. Yeah. And so, you know, through high school, working with my guidance counselor, focusing on everything that I needed to do to prepare myself potentially for the field, you know, taking um, extra classes and seeking out jobs. Uh, my first job ever um, was at a coffee shop, uh, which was super lame, but that lasted all of three months. Hey, hey, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> Serving coffee to angry people at five <laughs> o'clock in the morning was not the coolest gig ever. Yeah. Um, but then I got Our a- clientele is a little bit nicer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, probably. Uh, <laughs> and then I got an even cooler job. Uh, poop scooping for a local veterinary hospital. So it was a big upgrade. <laughs> um, <laughs> I stayed at that practice for a long time, kennel attendant, intern while I was in college, and then as a tech in training and then an LVT uh, once I graduated and got licensed. Um, uh, the like variety of experiences sort of started while I was in college because I signed myself up for way too many internships. So I worked at a sh an animal shelter doing TNR work, um, interned at our super tiny local zoo, um, and interned at this other practice. And then, you know, once I was in practice, that was all I did was this, you know, general practice and sort of hybrid urgent care emergency model for years. Um, a few years into that, um, I had a really good friend who was working at a huge animal shelter, animal sanctuary nearby, um, and they needed some help. So I worked for a few months just sort of backing up their team, um, doing a lot of TNR and like uh, high quality, low cost spay neuter stuff. Um, that, I think, was like sort of the earliest indicator that I was burning out of the field and needed a change because I was still working full-time in general practice and emergency and doing this on the side. I, I Now, looking back at it, I think seeking fulfillment at, in ways that I was not getting in practice um, and maybe seeking another outlet. Um, so I worked with them for a few months um, and then stayed in practice, but within a year of that. So that, that was probably five or six years into my career. And then uh, within a year of that, I was actively seeking other jobs. Uh, that's when I found a position at Cornell University um, Animal Hospital. I was working in the intensive care unit for about a year. But again, like that was a total change. I left the previous practice and was working there full time. And again, it was like seeking fulfillment. I was burnt out. I had little to no resources for like how to manage that. And I just thought changing something would fix it. Definitely did not. Um, and so like that wasn't fulfilling. Like the job was fine. The people that I worked with were great. The medicine was amazing. Um, but I just was not, still not happy. Um, so I went back to the previous practice, took up a leadership position, did that for a couple of years. And then I was just spiraling. Um, mental health crisis, couldn't leave work for the day without an absolute meltdown. Um, and it had like really, really seriously started affecting my home life. Like my boyfriend was fully aware of my mental health crisis. I was not happy with anything. Um, so I left that practice, went to a much slower practice that is just sort of like an interim, like I have to get out of here, but I have to make money to live. Um, and so I did that for a little while and the, like that was mid pandemic. So I started that job and then it was like three weeks later, that oh, gosh. the whole area shut down. My mother Dang, was the first yeah. COVID case in our County, like oh, wow. everything like closed down practice was awful because you know, clients were mean and the practice that I was working at had, um, uh, two veterinary technicians, for four doctors and oh, was like not at all interested in <laughs> providing any sort of support for that role. And, uh, and like it, you know, I just was again, starting to look for other opportunities. And I thought like, I just need to get out. I was absolutely desperate to not be in practice anymore. And it's not that I didn't want to work with the patients anymore and I could tolerate the clients and I could deal with, <laughs> 
not great management and long hours. Like e- I could deal with each of those independently, but n- not all at once. Put them together and you've got a problem. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. yeah. And so it was uh, fall of, well, I guess it was, it was, sorry, it was late summer um, of 2020 that a friend of mine um, had posted a job listing for instinct. So he was on their customer support team, someone that I had known from when I first became a vet tech. He, um, his girlfriend was at a local university for pre-vet studies. And he was a vet tech who had helped train me on the floor when I first started in my career. And he posted this job for this company he was working for in customer support. And I read the job description and the company mission, checked out the website. I had never heard of instinct before. Um, but like everything looked great. And I sent him, this was on LinkedIn and I sent him a DM on LinkedIn. I hadn't talked to him in years, but I reached out and I was like, tell me the reality of working for this company and this shift to not working on the floor because I need something and this sounds great, but a lot of things sound great, you know, until you do them. And so he introduced me to publicly available instinct materials. I was reading their blog, Pick the Brain, um, and I hit up an article written by Caleb, the CEO, um, called The Bizarre Busyness of Veterinary Medicine, I think is what the title was. And it was talking about like veterinary medicine in general, but also how the pandemic had affected it. And it just like really hit me. I just felt very much like he was speaking absolute truth (laughs) and things that I agreed with and everything there. And so that's when I applied to this job. Um, Now I'm not on the customer support side anymore, but I work with veterinary practice managers, practice owners, um, team leads, all kinds of hospital leadership to get their hospitals onboarded with instinct um, every day. Amazing. Um, You know, a couple kind of follow-ups. Um, one question I had, so if we talk all the time about the kind of like shelf life for veterinary technicians, and it sounds like you were like right in that five to seven year range uh-huh. where it's like, I got to get out because yep. as you said, like individually, I can deal with this, this, mm-hmm. this, but like in real life, it's all of those things. And I like that's why we lose so many yeah. good people. I'm glad you were able to pivot and find something else mm-hmm. to keep you in the field because a lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, but I think one thing in there, too, that you said was like veterinary medicine is a small community. And you, your colleague had posted this job posting that, and you hadn't talked to him in years. And, mm-hmm. and it's such a good lesson about like keeping your options open and the way yeah. you present yourself because you could have easily, you know, previously in your previous work experience, like made it so that he wouldn't have, you know, connected you or what have you. But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you had a good rela- working relationship with this person and, you know, you kind of went through that, but like the reputation you carry in this field, like you never know when you're going to need to fall back on that. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I used I used to tell my students that when I was teaching is, is that your your behavior is your reputation and right. keep it in check because somewhere down the road somebody's gonna know somebody's gonna you, know you like if yeah. you left in a blaze of glory somebody's gonna right. know that and say right. whoa hold on with this person right mm-hmm. um, yeah super important the other the other thought that I had was was Kate was there was there ever a time you know when you were thinking of that that you had an option outside of the field did like one of the whole reasons that Jeff and I started this podcast is we were looking to get out and yeah. uh, we just couldn't find a good, good enough uh, <laughs> avenue to, to do it. Um, but when you were going through that, was there, was there an option of like, Oh, I'm going to go into marketing or I'm going to go into back to working at, at be a barista. Was was there ever <laughs> any thought like that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, especially when I was sort of at my lowest I, and I'm trying to think of when that was, but I think it really was like I had considered it before before I went on to Cornell mm-hmm. because I just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, 
I was also like going through a divorce at the time. So it was very much like, let's just change everything about my life. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. seems like a smart decision. We'll just change yeah. everything. It'll all be different. We'll um, just start all over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I had considered it, but I just like, I, my friend who works at the sanctuary is like probably one of the most intuitive people that I know. And it's kind of annoying sometimes. And she was like, <laughs> you're going to be miserable if you're not doing the thing that you thought you were going to be doing. Um, yeah. And that's a very personal thing. It, there is absolutely nothing wrong with totally pivoting out of the field entirely. Um, right. Probably half of my graduating class from college is not doing anything in the veterinary field anymore. Or um, like, uh, you know, there are a number of people who have been very successful at bartending. And, you know, when I was, um, I would not make a good bartender, but, <laughs> you know, them talking <laughs> about the fact that that was so much more lucrative and a change of pace that was stressful in ways that um, did not match what was going on in practice. I was like, I, maybe I could learn. Um, <laughs> but like, I just don't think that that was an option for me just because yeah. of, I would spend the entire rest of whatever career I ended up in thinking like, God, why did I even waste my time like yeah, going to vet yeah. school and being licensed yeah. to begin with? And um, so I like, I definitely loosely considered it, but did not um, really think about acting on it. Didn't act on it. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I'm also curious. Um, I mentioned in your bio that you were working on your bachelor's degree. Do you mind my asking, is that like for, is that more like on a business side or is that like a bachelor's in veterinary technology? So it is bachelor's in veterinary technology. Okay. Um, cool. I work cool. full time. I'm remote and there aren't any vet tech programs ne near me. I mean, there's Dell high, which is probably 45 minutes away. Um, but I'm actually doing it through Penn Foster. Okay. Um, cause the remote like sort of seems to work for me. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, I think their program feels like sort of a hybrid of like management and, um, medical. Um, and really it was just like, I kept talking about it and my then boyfriend now husband was like, why don't you just like, just do it. Like you keep talking about it. You've been talking about it for the entire time that we've been in a relationship, just do it. You have the time <laughs> and the mental capacity. And so I, I did it. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So let's talk about the profession itself. Um, yeah. Where do you see the vet tech profession? Uh, what can we do to change it? Uh, what can we do to make it better? Or are there things that we're doing right now that are, that are fantastic? Yeah. So uh, you brought up a good one earlier, one that I had jotted down in my notes, and that was the mid-level practitioner thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I it, it, That, it, coupled with the veterinary nurse initiative um, and standardization of title across the United States, those are all things that I'm in support of. Um, but I also know that a moderated approach needs to be taken. And so just like sort of, yes, we totally need to do this. However, like, here's what I think the stepwise fashion should be that we executed in. Um, not that I'm a, an industry expert in that kind of sure. thing, but um, I would love to see mid-level practitioners. Um, and now that I'm taking my bachelor's, you know, doing my bachelor's program, I'm like, hmm, maybe that could be a new career path. Um, not that I want to leave instinct anytime soon, but if the opportunity presented itself um, there, I agree with everyone who says, you know, we need to promote the veterinary technology profession more because, you know, as a kid, I, I didn't know right, right. what this role was. When I graduated college, there were tons of people, my, mostly my parents, friends and acquaintances um, who were like, well, I guess I don't understand what she's going to be doing. Like, <laughs> is she working on computers? You know I mean? That was yeah. still 13 years ago, but there was no awareness. And I think there's more awareness now. Um, but I still encounter people all the time who have no idea what we do. Right. So exactly. figuring out a way to get the general public to be aware of it, because then, um, you know, I, I think that's where some of the respect for the title needs to come from. Um, but we also need more respect for the title from, um, hospital leadership 
mm-hmm. which I think is a huge issue. Um, you know, hospital leaders who value the work that the doctors do and then everything else is just what should be happening anyways. That always really bothers me. Um, because everyone in the veterinary practice does essential work. I don't want to be a veterinary receptionist. I would hate that job because (laughs) it is on another level that I don't want to have to deal with on a regular basis. You know, those people are absolutely essential. Kennel attendants are essential. Like it's more than just doing laundry and scoop and poop. It is so much more than that. Like there are essential functions that all of these levels fill. Um, And then, you know, backing the, the, um, greater respect for the role in veterinary practices and with hospital leadership and with the public, obviously standardization across the country would be the ideal. Um, and ideally modeling that after states that have, you know, reached standardization successfully. Um, and I'm not saying like the entire country needs to be modeled after the absolute strictest standards of any state that's out there. But we need to find something so that from state to state, everyone knows what is being delivered by the title veterinary technician. And yeah. that, and and the challenge with the mid-level practitioner is there are a lot of people who think, well, we need countrywide standardization before we even get to that point or before we get to a title change or anything like that. And again, that would be the ideal. But at the same time there are states that are going to resist that Mm -hmm. seriously. I mean, there is a lot of headway to be made before the entire country is on the same page as far as that goes. And part of me thinks like maybe that mid-level practitioner role can be piloted in states that do have standardization. Yeah. Yeah. Start, start where you've got those, those Mm -hmm. regulations and stuff already in place and then kind of, once the other states realize that, oh, this is working, we can, we can probably do that in other states. But that's, that's a nice and you know what? If it, it tanks, it's not a countrywide yeah. problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's exactly. More isolated, yeah. and then you go back to the drawing board. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah that's a great great. Do, point. do it in states that are, are going to be receptive to that. And yeah. like you said, if it if it tanks, then scrap. Yeah, great um, point. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Um, so, what is instinct? Describe your role there. Talk about um, you know what it is and what you do there. Yeah. So Instinct is um, cloud-based software as a service for veterinary hospitals. Um, Its um, origin was creating digital treatment sheets for hospitals. So very much like, I don't know if I should say the word smart flow. Um, They were, you know, direct competitors for a while there. And, um, you know, originally that's all it was. It was, it was the treatment sheet platform integrated with certain practice management softwares, but able to operate independently too. Um, and then I think it was within less than a year of when I started back in 2020 that they started kicking off instinct EMR, which is a full medical records, uh, management, which obviously integrates with its own treatment sheets. Um, Mm. And we're, you know, ever evolving to include new integrations and everything. So um, Instinct was started by uh, Caleb Frankel, who's uh, a VMD based out of Philadelphia. Um, some amazing software developers and, and leaders. Um, and, you know, now we're just like really focusing on making EMR everything that it needs to be. So we, you know still deliver the treatment sheet platform to, you know, numerous hospitals. Um, We're currently between the two programs in uh, over 400 veterinary practices. Um, And right now our treatment sheets are present in half or slightly more than half of um, vet schools in the U S too. Oh, great. Oh, that's, so that's cool. super cool. We're introducing ourselves to a whole new generation of veterinarians, yeah. which are hopefully going to find the benefit in it and carry that into practice too. Yeah. in in the, I, I will say that, um, I work in a number of practice. I, I do relief work. So I work in a number of practices mm-hmm. that use instinct and I, 
every time I go into a practice has instinct. I, I'm not trying to kiss up to you, but I, I love <laughs> using instinct. It's so user-friendly. Um, there's so many different ways to customize it. And mm. I, I don't know if it's just that I, I honestly don't know if it's that I like it or if I just hate the old way of doing things. I won't mention the, 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 the software systems that, that I use that I hate cause I don't, I don't want to stir any pots, but yes. like when, when a company has moved from X, Y, Z and then moved to using their treatment sheets as a technician, as someone who does like ICU mm-hmm. treatments, I really appreciate that because I can have everything isolated in, I know, I know exactly what I'm doing, especially when I'm going into different practices. Yeah. Um, but that, that's one of my, it, when, when instinct reached out to us to say, Hey, can we have Kate on? I was like, yes, let's, <laughs> let's pro- like, we, we don't like to promote a lot of companies, but yeah. companies that we believe in like instinct, I definitely want to promote, promote that. Cause that's, I mean, that's something that I use very frequently and that's amazing. You know, I'm in a lot of support of you guys. That's great. Um, I, I have a question for you about, so you said earlier you're, you're remote now. You're primarily remote yeah. or are you, okay. So entirely, entirely. So as <laughs> am I, um, and I come from long line of clinic work too. I'm curious how you have found working remotely. Like what kind of unique challenges have you encountered, if any, uh, and how you like it versus clinic work, not necessarily working for instinct, but just the remote mm-hmm. aspect of it. Yeah, so it was a huge change that I had to adapt to. And I've been, I had uh, recently uh, in the past year or so have been like part of um, interviews for new oncoming customer support team members. And the first thing that I tell every single one of them is like, it feels like it would probably be easy to just switch to working from home all the time. But there are some challenges that like you you just have to mentally prepare yourself for. And mm-hmm. honestly, like my most stressful day at Instinct is nothing compared to what it was like working in practice um, on my worst days. Um, I, I think I think the veterinary industry as a whole is just sort of living in this massive soup bowl of trauma. Um, and I don't get that <laughs> what, where I'm doing right where I'm working right now. Um, but probably the biggest challenges, um, were like time management and like not having a structured schedule. Um, cause we have team members all across the country, um, and are serving customers 24 hours a day. So especially when I first started, um, you know, there were overnight on-call hours to be available and like in the chat to help people out. And like, there just was no structure. And I went from like rigid structure to no structure and, um, that was challenging to try to figure out what I was doing. Um, I also like didn't realize how much of a physical impact it would have to be out of practice. Um, cause I've never been a fit girl to begin with. And then moving from being what I didn't think was all that active in practice to not being active at all, um, has caused some, uh, waistline and cardiovascular health challenges that I didn't foresee because um, I'm perfectly content to just park it in my desk all day <laughs> and uh, didn't used to be doing that when I was you know walking dogs and talking to clients and moving from one end of the hospital to the other yep um, you know and and it's just a different pace it's it was hard not to go stir crazy in the beginning because I was used to living in this constant state of stress like even in, when I like I worked a lot of emergency hours and I did a lot of like, you know, surgical and anesthetic nursing care and that kind of thing. And there just was like, all there's this constant, like your baseline existence is stress. And then there's just just more stress (laughs) Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. my baseline shifted and I didn't know how to function because honestly, like my day to day had been, I think, probably running on some sort of an adrenaline high or, you know, cortisol spikes mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and it made me nervous and like agitated. And I was constantly convinced that I wasn't doing enough. Um, so th- that those were probably like the big introductory changes was like I just didn't feel like I was doing enough. I didn't feel like I was stressed enough. And the people that I was working with were like, like, you don't need to do that anymore. We don't, we don't function like that. You don't need to be worried that you're not doing enough. Cause, cause we're telling you that you are. 
And then in my mind, I was just like, I don't, I don't really believe you. <laughs> I, right? I don't know why. Right? I'm right? just convinced that if I'm not stressed, that I'm not doing the job well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- that's really like, and, and making sure that I was happy in doing what I was doing. Like, I think a lot of text, um, move out of the field and, and jump, want to jump into remote positions because they just think like, I can finally be free of the practice. And maybe they're introverted people who like thrive on being at home alone anyways, which is great. But you also like, you still have to find job satisfaction in whatever Mm -hmm. you're switching to. It can't just be less stressful. Um, I am very fulfilled when the conversations that I have with practice managers and, and veterinarians and, and tech team leads, um, result in workflows that are going to be better for their teams. Like that's what I'm always thinking about is like, what are the, what are the best ways to optimize these workflows so that the practice owners and practice managers get what they want, which is like streamlining charges, making sure that, you know, we're billing for everything that we should. Um, but also trying to take some work away from their teams. And like, that's what keeps me satisfied in the, work that I'm doing. That's great. Awesome. Well, we are, Jeff, we are more than halfway through our talk. Yeah. Once again, uh, the conversation is going so well that we <laughs> lose track of yeah. time. So yep. why don't we take our ad, our ad break here and we'll pay some bills and we'll be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really liked that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the VetTechCafe, where you can hitch your horse up right outside uh, because there is no more room on my farm for it. Um <laughs> Kate, we like to talk about mental health and, and how we deal with, with managing our own stress. And you, you talked a little, little bit about stress and burnout and things mm-hmm. like that. How do you handle, handle your own mental health? Uh, for a long time, I didn't, um, which mm. is the absolute most unhealthy way to handle it. Um, I Just push it off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Either pretend it's not happening or uh, I definitely convinced myself on more than one occasion that it would just go away. Um, Mm. and that's not, that's not at all realistic. Um, I did, uh, seek therapy around the time that I was like in the earliest stages of my burnout. Um, cause I was also getting divorced at the same time and I just rolled everything together. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was absolutely essential. I mean, I really genuinely would not have gotten through that period of life if I hadn't been going to therapy and, and getting things dealt with because um the burnout isn't just like what you deal with in practice it's how it affects your home life um and how your past life experiences have altered your ability to manage stress you know childhood even minor and like seemingly benign things can be labeled as trauma later in life and affect the way that you handle stress. So that was a huge thing was seeking therapy. Um, since then, I haven't been great about seeking therapy directly. Um, I have, you know, I keep thinking like I have health insurance that I pay a lot of money for. So I should <laughs> probably, probably get Use back it. into yeah, that. Yeah. Um, 
but I, you know, read a lot of mental health resources and just try to be introspective about it. Um, and I would not encourage avoiding seeking care. Um, now, you know, I know for a large portion of the veterinary industry, um, veterinary technicians and, and really anyone that's not a manager or a doctor in practice might have trouble seeking care because of the cost of care um, and maybe a lack of access to health insurance. Um, and for that, I would say try to find free local resources or subsidized local resources um, and push practice managers and leaders to make resources available to you. Um, it helped, obviously not enough to uh, keep me in practice, but one of the practices that I worked at previously did consultations with, and I can't think of her name uh, off the cuff, but with a compassion fatigue and um, burnout specialist who came and did some like sort of lunch and learn things with us. Um, and that was definitely helpful. And, and they like eventually began, you know, for people who were exhibiting significant signs of, of burnout and overstress um, would sponsor consultations like one-on-ones with her. Um, so from the perspective of someone who's experiencing burnout, try to seek care in any way that you can. Um, but, talking to practice owners and practice managers, like these are resources that need to be provided for your staff because the reality is they're not gonna experience that same degree of stress and trauma being a barista at Starbucks or being a bartender or working at you know, a bookstore. Um, and there's just this inherent deal with it yourself sort of attitude, I think, in the veterinary industry that needs to go away. Um, and hospitals need to recognize that their the work that they do is the origin of these traumatic experiences for a lot of people. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, you know, stepping up to, to yeah. be proactive and do something about it and not just like a, a practice consultant who does trust falls and teaches people how to work better together because your teams aren't going to work better together. This is a soapbox moment for me, but your teams are not going to work better together if they are traumatized and burnt out and aren't getting help for it. Right. And so I like, you know, people across social media point out all the time that a lot of their reason for leaving is poor management and bad workplace culture and like then you know that there's a lot of people saying well it's it's because of burnout and the reality is oftentimes bad workplace culture is probably a result of burnt out burnout mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and and mismanagement in that area people refusing to recognize that we experience traumatic things every single day um and then People lose their ability to be patient and kind um, and not that it's an excuse to be mean to someone, but at the same time, your tolerance for BS just plummets. Yeah, right. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, and also just think that, you know, we, we say it all the time is, is that you don't know what somebody else is dealing with yep. under the surface. So right. you right. Know, the, the slightest little thing that shouldn't trigger like a huge mm -hmm. response sometimes That's triggers sometimes that does. huge response. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder if there's, you know, you mentioned the lunch and learns with people that work in the mental health field. I wonder if that's something that like hospitals that have like a employee assistance program, I wonder if that's a, an avenue that they could utilize to bring somebody in. Um, I, I, I don't work at a practice anymore, so I, I don't really know the ins and outs of, a, of an EAP anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder if that's something that we can actually make happen where the, the EAPs will bring in mental health mm -hmm. people to, mm -hmm. you know, cause we know it's, we know it's there, but how many people actually utilize it? Right. You know, like very few probably I would imagine, but if they came in and did a lunch and learn and, and talked about mental health issues, I, I feel like that would be a huge help for a lot of practices. Yeah. Uh, so let's get back to instinct. Um, what kind of uh, growth opportunities do you have there? Like, are you, are you, what are the different levels of what your job is? Yeah. So I started um, as a 
customer support expert. So coming in, uh, my job was to learn how to use Instinct because I'll, I will be honest with you and I tell people all the time when I'm onboarding, I have never actually used Instinct in a clinical <laughs> setting. Um, I have practiced a lot in non-clinical settings and done some like on the ground work with hospitals to teach them how to use it. Um, but I've never actually used it myself in a clinical setting. I would love to someday if I get back into practice. <laughs> um, so that's what I like. My first three months with the company were just learning how it works. And that's what they do with everyone. And then um, that grew into um, at the time we were still mid really mid pandemic. And so we were only doing um, software go lives virtually. Um, so we'd send a laptop out to a hospital and I'd sit there on Zoom and, and work with them there. Um, and then eventually we started doing on-sites. And right around the time that we started doing on-site visits, I got pulled from the customer support team to work with the implementation team, which is what I'm doing now. So I work with hospitals who um, are just getting started with Instinct and need to get everything set up. So that was not that was like a horizontal move, um, but another opportunity, right? So like it's mm -hmm. you're not just siloed in this one space. There's uh, people are constantly shifting into different roles, and and roles are expanding, and roles are changing, and new roles are being created based on need because it's just like a you know exponentially growing company. Um, so that's one move is the potential to move into like an adjacent department. Um, right now we have a pretty solid leadership structure, but if there were any openings, you know, obviously that's an option for the right candidate. Um, but again, because we're a company that's growing, like we're finding these new areas of need where, you know, our entire team previously would just fill all of these needs um, as they came up. Um, now they're sort of breaking out into other things. Um, we, you know, have an entire department dedicated to the customer support side of managing um, integrations. Um, and so that's a team of like sort of one and a half people right now, one person who runs it primarily, and then someone from the customer support team who assists with that on a regular basis. That same customer support person also helps with implementation things. Um, so it's not necessarily like up the ladder vertical movement that we're looking at, but there are just so many opportunities. And, and, when, and I, when a need is identified, you know, provided that it is genuine um, and it's a role that can be supported, that's, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for sort of creating that new role. And, and one thing that I, I just thought of while, while you were talking about that is how did you have like a background in like, for lack of a better term, computer science, I'm, I'm dating myself back to the, to the nineties. <laughs> um, but did you have like a background in computer science where you kind of understood how to do some of these things or was that stuff that you all had to be taught? Oh, uh, I had to be taught. Um, and, and in general, you know, most everybody on our customer support and implementation teams has a background in veterinary medicine, um, from the front desk up to veterinarian. Um, I mean, we have, uh, you know, someone who was uh, like a billing and insurance specialist at a hospital. We have a veterinarian on staff who does all kinds of things with our team and, and everyone in between. Um, and now I just forgot the question that you asked. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was asking if you had like a background in, in yeah. computers. So most people like their experience is limited to whatever practice management software they've worked with previously. I've right. really only worked with like two or three. Um, so even that, you know, my experience was limited realistically to one specific one. And the funny story about this is I have always been technologically helpless. My dad, um, <laughs> up until he passed was worked at IBM for decades. Yeah. And so I was intentionally helpless. So if anything broke, I just <laughs> you know, drove 15 minutes down the road and was like, here's my laptop, fix it. Thanks. <laughs> um, now that I've been working with Instinct, I've had to sort of figure some of that stuff out. And um, I don't think it was that I was inept. I think it was just that I had a resource that I would always take advantage of. Right. You didn't um, have to, you didn't But have really, to like, right. no actual tech background was required. Just 
um, you know, it sounds very typical, but willingness to learn and adaptability and, and everything. Cool. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's important, you know, for like recruitment is that you don't need to be an IT specialist mm-hmm. to, yeah. to work right. for, yeah. would you consider this to be an IT company really? Or is it more, it's kind of a hybrid, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I think that's probably a safer way to say yeah. it because, you know, we're instinct experts, um, not like tech experts. Not computer experts. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. We have a ton of I, I tech would... experts. I mean, like those are the right. people who build the software. Um, but like the like coming into instinct as a vet tech, the likelihood is you're you would probably start on customer support. And so it's, it's like yeah, being an yeah. IT guru is not necessary. Yeah. And I, I think that's important for like recruiting. Like some yeah. people would probably say, oh, I don't want to work for that company because I'm not, I'm not like, what, how did you term it? Technologically illiterate or. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Tech illiterate. I yeah, think it's so, probably so I, I think that's it. important for people yeah. to understand yeah. that you don't have to have like a computer science degree, right? Yeah. Here, nope. here go back to the nineties right. again to, to, to work for a company like this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, on the implementation side, who mm-hmm. you primarily, primarily collaborate with, like in a hospital setting, is it practice managers? Is it techs and assistants, CSRs, veterinarians kind of all across the board. And then also like, because frankly, this profession is notoriously crappy to each other. Like, do you run into like people being crappy to like veterinary <laughs> colleagues being not cool? Like, uh, I, yeah. And obviously feel free to dance around that as you need. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I work with the full spectrum of team members for the most part. Okay. Um, any, anyone who would, I, there's potential for me to work with anyone who could come into contact with instinct. Okay. When I start the process, the people that I'm talking to are practice managers, practice owners, uh, medical directors, et cetera, because I'm asking for all of the boring setup stuff like spreadsheets of your entire product list and staff lists and that kind of thing. That's who I start with though. And then as we move through the process, when things start being, you know, set up for the automated charging and, and, um, streamlining workflows and optimizing application. That's when I start working with other teams. So in the early stages, it's really just hospital leadership. And then um, probably about halfway through my part of the process is when we start pulling in other team members to be like, listen, you're the one who works on the floor. You're the one who knows these 16 charges are the things we need to bill for every single day. And I don't want to have to complete something on a treatment sheet to send a charge to an invoice when it should just go there. It should just know? do it's it. It's yeah. not something that I'm, It's if it's not a task that I'm doing, you know, what What are the things that you charge for that aren't the tasks that you actually have to complete? Because if it's not something you have to complete, I don't want you to have to click a button to make right. it go somewhere. It should just go there. <laughs> and that's really when we start pulling in, you know, I talk to lead veterinary technicians, assistants, front desk staff, especially if they're in charge of a lot of billing, you know, that's where we sort of roll everyone in. And then once the customer support team takes over for the application actually going live at the hospital, they're working with everyone at every level on, you know, either on site or virtually they're on a laptop being passed around the entire hospital and they'll talk to anyone who needs it. Hmm, cool. Do, do they have like, is, is it, you know, you you said you work with anyone who com- comes in contact with it. Do they have? Is it further specialized into saying, okay, I I work in in the front desk and I need to understand how to manage the billing part of it, or, or I'm a veterinarian and I need to know how to put in charges, or I'm a veterinary technician, I need to know how to complete charges and make things streamlined that way. Is it is it divided up like that, or is it kind of do you take care of all of that? Um, I. I think everybody sort of touches on, on all of those areas. We do like, we have specialized training materials for like Mm -hmm. specific workflows. And during the training process, depending on the practice size, there may be like individualized trainings prior to, or even during, um, you know, like we, um, Earlier this year, I worked with a single doctor practice who has, I think, like two technicians, a handful of assistants and one receptionist. 
right? And so everyone sort of does everything. So everyone got trained yeah. on everything. You know, the woman who worked at the front desk needed to know how to handle, you know, completing certain types of treatments and, and creating you know, discharge workflows and that kind of thing. Um, but there are other, you know, big specialty hospitals where people aren't touching all of these other areas and really their roles are so specific and they get, you know, more specific training and handling. Yeah. Um, that's great. Um, so as we're getting more towards the end of our hour, again, I, I know it always flies I, by, I, <laughs> always flies by. Um, what advice would you have for a veterinary technician that is maybe looking to leap to an off the floor position like you have? Yeah. So um, the biggest thing is like considering what you actually like about veterinary medicine. And if, if you're thinking about that and you're like, I just don't like anything about it anymore. Um, seek treatment for burnout <laughs> and <laughs> mental health crisis. Um, but also like, just really think about the parts of your job that you did enjoy and what, like, if you continued to work in veterinary medicine, what would be your motivation? Cause mine was always like providing the absolute best patient care possible. Uh, that was just like, that always was what I wanted to do. And, so transitioning to this job with instinct was sort of my way of doing that in an adjacent role. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Because just changing roles entirely, I'm evidence of that, doesn't always like bring you what you need. And if you're not finding that you're fulfilling that need um, with the job change, you're not going to be happy, even if it's a better place to work. You know, the last veterinary practice that I worked on on site um, – I was not super pleased with the level of care. And so like nothing that I did there was going to make me happy. Right. Um, right. And really it was just sort of like an escape pod for me. It wasn't somewhere I planned on staying long-term anyways. Um, but if you're looking to leave the floor, but still work in veterinary medicine, really do anything you like. If you're just looking to jump ship, it's fine to just find that temporary spot that's going to let you recover for a little bit. Cause that's really the thing is like, I thought I was running away from burnout and it wasn't actually chasing me. I was just carrying it everywhere with me and not recovering <laughs> You're dragging it with you. Yeah, yes, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I thought that it would get better if I went somewhere else and it didn't. Um, so really that's the core issue is like dealing with how your career has affected your own mental health. And then figuring out like why you want to continue doing whatever it is that you're doing. I want to help now. I want to help veterinary professionals provide the best care possible for their patients because I'm not providing that care anymore. Um, yeah. And working remotely, I think is great for me. Um, it doesn't work for everyone. You know, you, plant yourself in front of a desk and you might go stir crazy. My husband, uh, before he had the job he had now was, uh, you know, he's retired military and very like action kind of dude. And he tried a remote job for a little while and he went absolutely bananas, hated having to do anything like work related because it just was like, he was stuck at home with no change of pace. And mm -hmm. I'm very much the opposite of that. So he had to get back out into a non-remote job, but I'm pretty comfortable where yeah. I am. But it's because I'm doing what I want. Yeah. Uh, well, I also think that, you know, you say you're not directly helping patients, but you are helping you are. technicians yeah. be efficient and yeah. provide uh, more efficient care. And so indirectly, you, you yeah. are helping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. tech, you're, you're helping technicians care for these animals, which absolutely I, I think that would give me job satisfaction yeah, and fulfillment it, yeah. that I'm and you, helping out. Yeah, for sure. You bring up a great point because like Dave, I'm reminded of our episode with Allie Butler, who's at Mila now. I mean, I worked yeah. with her at Tufts and her patient care was top notch. I mean, every pet had like the best bed you could ever imagine, <laughs> but she was also like, she was always fixing equipment mm -hmm. around the yeah. hospital and she graduated as an engineer and that's what she is now with Mila. She is an engineer and like re-engineering their products mm. for better use for veterinary technicians to right. make them, 
you know, or build what it is that they want. And like you're saying, she's just now applying that part of her personality to veterinary medicine. She's not in direct patient care anymore, but she's still making patient care better. Oh yeah. 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 It's yeah. yeah, It's, it's a, it's an excellent point. Mm -hmm. Well, Kate, I know we're, we're getting towards the, towards our Mm -hmm. hour. And, um, I know you said you had a list of things that you wanted to talk about. Is there anything that we haven't touched on today that you want to send out to our caffeinators? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, you know, we sort of addressed all of the hot button items that I was like, I think I would like to insert that. Cool. Good. (laughs) All right. Um, is there a person or a topic now that you've been in that chair and been on the show, um, that you would like to see in a future episode? Uh, I don't know that I could speak to people because I um, have to go back and catch up on your past podcast to make sure that I'm not (laughs) saying a name that's already been there that I didn't see. Um, But as far as topics, I mean, really, like, I think that the general subject just needs to keep being talked about. Um, You know, I conversations, I think, around um, standardization of care standardization of the title and the mid-level practitioner are all hot button items right now, but they're important to talk about and like Mm -hmm. how to make that happen. Yeah. um, I think is probably one of the biggest things right now. And, and also, you know, I love that, that um, you've looped better help into this because I, I think one of the biggest solutions aside from fixing how practice management is done um is to help people seek care. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's only so much that you can do to improve the veterinary industry when the people who are in it are suffering every day. Um, yeah. And at the same time, you know, when they're not being supported by leadership, leadership support is like so key to a good hospital culture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, Kate, now we're down to your last question. This (laughs) is your vet tech cafe. Would you rather question? Are you ready for it? I think so. Okay, don't stress. Don't stress. <laughs> um, so give me, a, give me a number, one, two, or three. Three. All right, three. Oh, all right. Some, somehow Usually everybody always, always picks two, and so yeah. whenever somebody picks one or three, we're always excited. Yeah, we're like, <laughs> oh, pick a different one. All right, would you rather speak to your future self or speak to your past self? And what would you tell them? <laughs> I would love to speak to my past self, um, probably more than my future self, because I don't know what's I, I would be absolutely beside myself anxious thinking about the future. <laughs> uh, I would talk to my past self and talk about a lot of the things that we talked about today, recognizing uh, the signs of mental illness and figuring out ways to support myself through that because mm. I think that's contributed to a lot a lot of things that I've encountered through my yeah, life yeah um yeah gotcha okay. what about you Jeff what would you do you know I I was thinking about it uh, as she was answering and I I think I would like to talk to my future self and really the only reason is is was I able to keep my daughter alive <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's valid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you, Dave? But I, I would probably talk to my future self because, you know, I think about my past self and, uh, you know, the, the topic sometimes comes up of, of like, would you change anything if you could go back in time? And, and if I went back in time, yeah, I could probably change it and make things better. But everything that I did up until now has led me to where I am. Mm. And you know, what if I change stuff and it's the whole butterfly. Yeah. What if I change something and I'm a completely different person and don't have all the things that I have now and not happy and all that stuff. So I would talk to my future self and get advice on what I should do differently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, caffeinators, um, that about wraps up this episode of the vet tech cafe. Kate, thank you so much for coming by and taking some time out to talk to us and and talk to us about instinct. Cause again, it's as we always try to do, like, what cool things are veterinary technicians doing? And this is, this, a, is one this, of is, this is a line that like probably many of us never think about that is open to veterinary technicians. And I think as we, here we are in 2023, there are so many things that we can do as veterinary technicians. Like if you have your license and you can come and you can pair that with a degree really of any level, like you're unstoppable. And there's 
more opportunity now than there ever has been yeah. to stay in the field. And, and you brought up some really great points about finding what it is that you like in veterinary medicine and how you can apply that in other areas. So just thank you very much for taking the time to, to speak with us about all that. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me to take this opportunity. You're welcome. All right, caffeinators. Um, thanks again for tuning in and we will see you again soon. Bye guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.